Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. What's up, football-loving maniacs? This is Devin Kerr, and you're listening to the Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, we saw two impressive performances from our boys playing at home this week. We trounced Las Vegas Lights 4-1 on Wednesday, September 15th, and three days later we had the duel of our lives against Orange County, the team we love to hate. That game ended 2-1 and what a game it was. Drama, drama, drama. We received a red card, one of our goals was disallowed, and we saw fireworks from the south end. Oh yeah, and referees who seemed to make a decision based on what they saw on the Jumbotron instead of on the field. A historic moment of video assistant refereeing in the USL Championship, maybe. In addition to analysing these two games, we have a fantastic segment from our guest Kelly McCarthy. Kelly reports on the league standings, league highlights and a look at the top teams in the USL, specifically how they would rank if they all won all of their remaining games. To top it off, Kelly gives us recommendations on which games we should watch this week. Juan Uresti from 90 Mass Rising is our guest this week. Juan was on the show earlier this season telling us about his work for our local Spanish-speaking radio station, La Mejor. In addition to calling Phoenix Rising games live on the radio, Juan also has a daily radio segment where he reports on Phoenix Rising. Connect with Juan and his crew on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at 90MassRising. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to a couple of Phoenix Rising supporters who were on the show recently. Alex and Sarah Beth came on to talk about their fan experience with Phoenix Rising and it may come or it may not come as a surprise but Alex and Sarah Beth got married and had a very special wedding where Phoenix Rising played a significant role. I've got more on that in a future episode but right now it's time to get things kicked off with that awesome Las Vegas Lights game with guests Kelly and Juan. Phoenix Rising family, on Wednesday, September 15th, a friend of mine was literally on a rocket into space. Not me. I was with Juan Uresti and Kelly McCarthy, being treated to an otherworldly experience here on Earth. From the comfort of the stadium at Wild Horse Pass, we watched our boys, our Phoenix Rising, our team, who are the best soccer team in the league, destroy Las Vegas Lights four goals to one. We were cautiously optimistic going into this game, partly because we were unsure about the availability of players on the Phoenix side. In his midweek interviews, coach Rick Shantz talked about resting some key players, and that made us just a little nervous. Remember our trip to Oakland when we rested some key players? Ouch, that's a game I'm definitely trying to forget. Anyway, on the Vegas side, they've been struggling as their best players, Cal Jennings, Danny Masofsky, and Bryce Duke were called up to their MLS affiliate club, LAFC. The concern was that if those three players were back with the lights and on the field in Phoenix, that our boys would have had their hands full. It turned out that Jennings, Musovsky, and Duke were nowhere to be seen on the night, and so we had little to concern us and Phoenix let loose. 
As it stands, that's now four consecutive wins for Rising, and on the Vegas side, they're on a nine consecutive losing streak. Guys, I thought that Las Vegas were lucky that they didn't lose by a lot more. What did you think of the game? Juan, I'll start with you. Niall, first, thank you for the invitation. And it was a very energetic game, you know, uh, four goals. Uh, the beginning was really fast, three goals in the first half. And uh, Aiden Quinn scoring the first goal at the two minute. I think that broke Vegas down and uh, I'm pretty proud of the boys. Uh, they, they really nailed the game and they broke Vegas. Absolutely. Kelly, over to you. Yeah, I really agree with Juan. I think that early goal was really important. You know, when you're playing a game like Las Vegas, who are on a losing streak, when you know you're going to win, sometimes that can be dangerous. You know, sometimes you can go into a game overconfident and never click. But I think instead, you know, because we had a little bit of a different lineup, we still had some of those nerves and jitters. And it really just allowed us to have fun, um, to click with each other, to relax into it, and to continue to work on that scoring prowess. Um, this is what we need. You know, at this point, Phoenix Rising has to be thinking about the playoffs, picking up points, and getting home field advantage. I mean, no matter how easy it could be to beat a team, we have to make it a really decisive win. That's part of completing this complete package for Phoenix. So it was an awesome game. Unless we expected it. It needed to be. We need to play this well at this point in the season. All right, guys, let's jump into the highlights. The first goal. In the opening minutes of the match, Joey Calistri intercepted the ball deep inside the Vegas half of the pitch. He seemed to have been fouled and went down hard, but the ref allowed us to play on. Quick as lightning, John Beccaro steps in. Clearly, Beccaro has eyes on the back of his head because he backheeled the ball beautifully into the path of Aiden Quinn. Quinn raced forward with the ball and a Vegas defender pulling on him, but nothing was going to stop Aiden Quinn from powering forward. He wound up, he belted the ball toward goal. Vegas goalkeeper Alex Rando was coming to meet Quinn and got in front of the ball when he was about 12 yards out. In all fairness to Alex Rando, he took a lot off the ball but couldn't stop it from rolling behind him. And we were all delighted to see that ball roll like a slow moving bowling ball toward the goal and eventually over the line. I felt sorry for poor old Alex Rando. Couldn't happen to a nicer lad. Juan, what did you think? Well, actually, well, uh, I'm really sad for Rando too, you know, how many goals have we scored against him? It's incredible, but I thought uh, Gerundolo was going to put another goalie, but I guess he went with his guy and poor guy, he got destroyed. And on the play, I, I wanted to say uh, something about Vaquero, you know, because I was surprised to see him on the number nine position, but, you know, with his experience being a number 10, being a creative player, he, he kind of managed to, to put the ball for Aiden Quinn. And then Aiden Quinn, you know, we know this guy. He, he goes to the area and he's really dangerous. He can do that. So he's been incredible this season. And I'm really happy for him for scoring again. Yeah, amazing. Absolutely. Kelly, over to you. What did you think of that first goal? Um, I totally agree with Juan. Once again, you know, this was a nice move by Beccaro for sure. And I think it just really represented how much we were able to stick with it. You know, a couple of months ago, I don't think we would have seen this much aggression from Phoenix Rising. You know, we kind of got a little bit less confident on offense and on goal scoring for a while. So I think this really showed us we're back 
everyone wants that goal. And it was awesome for Aiden Quinn. He's in the 35-35 club now, and he wants more goals and more assists, and he got them. So it was great. And I'm with you guys. I, I really thought that Rando was going to get it or one of the defenders was, but it just slowly rolled in. It was like I was slow to cheer. I was like, yay. <laughs> so it was fun. Yeah, uh, we love rushing home and getting the highlights on, to, on the TV. And with that goal, it looked like slow motion, but it wasn't in slow motion. It was just a slow roll over the line. It was beautiful. Kudos to Aiden Quinn, and he played a big part in the second goal too. Came from a free kick that he took in the 17th minute. He was about 30 yards out from goal. He lofted the ball into the center of the box. Santi Moore was there to head it and direct it with force into the goal. Kelly, a nice free kick, a nice header. Your thoughts? Yes, it was a nice free kick for sure. Again, it was nice for Aiden Quinn to get that assist. But I also think, you know, this is what I was saying a minute ago. Santi Moore doesn't always jump up for headers. You know, of course, he's not the tallest player, but it doesn't matter. You have a head in a set piece when that ball is being launched into the mixer. You need to get a body part on it. And I was just happy he went for it. And that said, he really did direct it. It was classic header. He's facing one way, he redirects it, he used his core and right to the net. I mean, it was beautiful. And I was just happy for him to, you know, show some creativity and get involved in new ways. Over to you, Juan. What did you think of that goal? Uh, actually, you know, it surprised me that Santi Moore was jumping and uh, scoring, you know, with his head. But the move he made previously to anticipate, uh, I think it was, Tony Leone, who, who wasn't uh, marking him, but, you know, the move was spectacular. And then how he put the ball in the net, you know, I think something more have shown uh, this season that he can do many things. He has scored in with both legs. He has scored, you know, uh, doing the penalties, of course, and now with the head. So uh, something more is just incredible and 12 goals so far this season. Yeah, yeah. We didn't manage to keep a clean sheet in the 27th minute. We saw Vegas score from a free kick on the right side of the park. Vegas full forward Roberto Molina sent the ball into the box, where his teammate Julian Vasquez was first to it and appeared to maybe direct it into goal. Vegas are back in the game. Was that a good goal, Juan? Well, actually, uh, you know, Vasquez was, uh, they gave the, the goal to Vasquez, but Molina, he really made a good job with the cross. And I think Andre Rolls was expecting Vasquez to like hit the ball. But in my opinion, he never hit uh, Vasquez's head. So I don't know why they gave it to him, but, you know, maybe because he was doing the screen or maybe he was trying to get to the ball. But uh, in my opinion, the cross was really good. But Vasquez, you know, he made the move, but I don't think he touched it. Yeah, me too. He may have gotten a hair to it, but that's about it. He definitely sent Rawls the other way. Rawls thought that he was going to get it, but mm -mm, he wasn't able to, to direct it. So if, if anything, he, it just glanced off of his head and then straight into goal. Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, no, and that's the point. When you're there as a player, you always have to direct as if you're going to because his body movement, I think, really threw off Andre Rawls, who was otherwise in the right spot. So yeah, I'm with you guys. I think that I think that the the guy who took the kick scored it. You know, Molina was really good also at Cashman Field in the last game when he scored. You know, in on the right side he 
left uh, two, three players, and then he he scored. Uh, he's a really good player too, and I wasn't surprised about him getting a nice kick on the free kick. But you know, it's uh, it's sometimes under rules should have expected. You know that if any player doesn't touch the ball, you just gotta go for it. You know. Yeah, Molina. He he is a good player. He's one of their standouts for sure. Guys, two minutes later, we saw some quality play from Arturo Rodriguez. Vegas were struggling in their own half, fighting off an onslaught from Phoenix. And just when they were when they thought they were out of trouble from Phoenix's number one troublemaker, Kev Lambert, in comes Arturo Rodriguez. He takes over with a steal that would make Jamie Tart envious. He soloed the ball for about 10 yards, passing a Vegas defender with ease and leathering the ball into the net. Guys, every time I watch a game, I try to learn something. And what I learned last night is that Phoenix Rising pays for premium netting on those goalposts because anything less than that and the ball would have ended up in Glendale. Juan, what a goal. I'm giving it goal of the week and we're not even into the weekend. Yeah, no, I'm plus, you know, uh, it was Hispanic Heritage Month. It was kicking, it was, you know, we were starting the Hispanic Heritage Month. And what a way to start it with Arturo Rodriguez, you know. He's basically the face of the Hispanic people, the fans that follow Phoenix Rising. And this guy, man, he's been incredible. And he deserved more goals. And I, it's, sometimes it surprises me that he only has two goals. How many times he attempts to score? Many times. But this time, you know, it was a, a really great play by him and a, a nice definition, a really nice definition to the left post. And uh, it was a great goal. One of the best we've seen, Kelly. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, you have to know when to pass and when to shoot. And Rodriguez is very good at that. You know, a lot of players make the pass when they should make the shot. And I mean, he just has really good timing and really good judgment and a really good shot. I mean, that was powerful. Um, Juan, do you know where he's, where is he from? Uh, he's from San Luis in Mexico. Okay. Uh, he played a little bit in uh, FC Dallas too. And then he went to play in the USL League One, yep. where he was MVP, and now he's with Phoenix Rising. And I think he's the future for the team. Rick Chance have talked about it. You know, he he has mentioned uh, Arturo Rodriguez being the future of the team. And now with all these experienced players around him, uh, you know, this guy can learn a lot. Do either of you guys know after he scored that goal, he went running to someone on the sideline, one of the coaches, I think. Do you guys know who that was? Yeah, it was uh, Juan Guerra. Juan Guerra, okay, yeah, okay. Assistant, the assistant uh, coach, and uh, he, probably the relationship because both speak Spanish. Of course, uh, Juan is from uh, Venezuela, uh, experienced player, and now he's an assistant coach. But um, I guess you know the the coaching staff expects a lot from from Arturo Rodriguez, and uh, he's paying back. So that goal is gonna motivate him and bring him a lot of confidence for what's coming. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. It looked like he had told him beforehand that he was going to score a goal that night and, and it was paying off for him. Remember like what Matox uh, told the coaching staff? <laughs> I owe you guys two goals. Maybe Arturo was saying, he's Hispanic heritage, Mon, I gotta get a goal. <laughs> I think, yep, yep, it seems like it. It was really exactly. cute. He went right over to him. I was happy. Guys, that was the 29th minute. We didn't have any more goals in the first half. I'm just going to get right into the second half. The fifth goal, it was um, Phoenix, they, were, they wrapped it up in the 82nd minute with that fourth goal. 
Prince Sadie had the ball just inside the Vegas half. He took the ball down the left sideline. When he's just a few yards from the end line, just inside the 18-yard box, he cut it back to Becquero, who was calling for it. Becquero wasted no time, takes it on his left foot, shoots with his right foot. Becquero, 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 golero. Juan, stop me before I turn into a Spanish-speaking commentator. <laughs> what a goal by John, really. Uh, Baquero, it's been amazing. Um, you know, we uh, sometimes uh, there is uh, criticize. You know, people that criti criticize him this season because uh, maybe he's he hasn't had a, that many games uh, where where you know he has played well. But uh, now in the number nine position, which is really hard to play, we've seen David Egbo struggling. We even saw Rufa Dalashov struggling in that position. And in his first game, I think he he did really good. And the goal, you know, if you see the goal and if you see the highlight, the video, you can see the movement, how intelligent he is, and he puts the ball right where he wanted. So the move, the movement that he made before he got the ball was incredible. And uh, I think we can keep using him as a number nine. Why not? Great. Kelly, your thoughts on that goal? Yeah, I agree. And, you know, part of the part of playing as a number nine is being in the right place at the right time, like Juan said, and he really was there and ready. Um, and kudos to Prince Sadie, who is so fast up the sideline. You know, he did he did a great job to get that ball to John Beccaro and to see that pass and to know it was the smart move. But yeah, Beccaro, I mean, he used the time that he had and no more, you know what I mean? It had to be quick to control that ball and direct it. So it was perfection. You know, Rick Shantz said after the match, I don't know why everyone's so surprised. You know, he played a striker in college at Wake Forest. I had no idea. So it was cool. And um, I was impressed the way he was able to just turn that on and go back to his scoring ways. So it was exciting. And I love John Beccaro. And when John Beccaro is having a good game, everyone's having a good game. He just like lifts everyone up and his excitement, you can feel it. You know, he's always just like, give me the ball, give me the ball. So I was, yeah. I was really happy to see that he was on, you know, and having a good night. He has a lot of quality, definitely. He has a lot of quality. And uh, Rick Chance, uh, actually when he met John Baquero was when he was at college and he was playing as a number nine. So uh, Rick Chance also said that he was trying to put Vaquero, like, or they trained two weeks ago. They have been training since two weeks ago in that position. So it wasn't like something that came like in the last minute, you know, they were planning and uh, John really knew what, what he was doing. Yeah, guys, we talked about the the five goals, four for Phoenix Rising. There was a, there was, there were so many others that we could talk about, but I just have to mention that John Vaquero did have an attempt just coming up to the end of the first half and it hit the upright. Um, and I was feeling that Becquero was going to put one in. So guys, we're, we're going to move on from the highlights and talk about our lineup and performance. Coach Rick Shantz, uh, our head coach, he put Andre Rawls in goal, Darnell King as our right full back, Madrid and Musa as our center backs and Ryan Flood in as our left full back. Kelly, how did our backline do? They did really well. And I was a little bit nervous. You know, we've only seen Madrid a few times and he hasn't always looked uh, completely fit. He's looked a little slow to me sometimes. And I thought he looked 
awesome last night and he played awesome. You know, one of his strengths is just that he's a big guy, which can make you look slow or be a little slower, but he was really on, I think having the start as opposed to being subbed in gave him a lot of confidence and um, he was a brick wall. I mean, I thought he did a really great job. The other uh, change there, you know, Darnell King is just probably my favorite player at this point. He is so solid and he was solid and awesome on the evening. Um, same with Musa. Um, and so I just wanted to talk about Ryan Flood. Of course, we haven't seen him start in a couple of games and I thought he was amazing. I thought he was so solid. You know, I, I say this about Tate Schmidt too, but Ryan Flood is very athletic. You know, he is very capable um, and he's strong. It's hard to get by him. He has such an incredible left foot. And I thought he was really smart with his movement up the field and his service across. Um, I want him to rip the net and get his own goal, but he definitely um, was wonderful with the distribution last night. And it made a difference on the game for sure. I mean, he took a punch to the face in the second half. We were sitting right by it and saw it. And I mean, he just like got right back up and kept going. And I think you know, he was just very motivated. He really wanted to hold that line and he was incredible. So the back line was awesome. Anything to add to that one? Well, yeah, on uh, Ryan Plot, uh, he, where his left foot, his left leg is really strong. He can kick the ball from like 30 meters out and, and it could be a goal, you know, that's, that was, that's what I like the most about Ryan Plot. But the back line is, uh, it was really good. Um, there was some, some uh, nervous before because Joe Farrell wasn't gonna be on the game. And like Kelly said, uh, we haven't seen Madrid many times. The last time actually we saw Madrid starting was against Las Vegas and it was a two, two. So this time Madrid, he did a, a really good job, but uh, the, the one that I really like is uh, Darnell King on the, on the right side. You know, how many games have, has he rested? Like not many. If, if you think about it, he has played None. like this season. Yeah, he's always yeah. there. He's amazing. And in my opinion, he's one of the best uh, on the right side, defensive-wise. Absolutely, absolutely. So he has done a really good job. I thought Manuel Madrid was a, a different player last night. He just looked fantastic. And it's funny that you should say that Ryan Flood can score from 30 yards out because I had a dream that we're in the final and that it's Ryan Flood that gives us the win from 30 yards out. So fingers crossed on that one. Let's move into center field, guys. We had Aiden Quinn, we had Arturo Rodriguez, and we had Kevin Lambert. Kelly, comments. They were awesome. And I think that makes the difference. You know, when your midfield is firing on all cylinders, when they're playing well together, when they're excited, it makes it makes such a difference on the game. And that's what we saw. You know, they played well together. They played well offensively and defensively. And... Um, Oh, I just lost my thought. Oh, and they all had great individual performances as well. So they were just the complete package for me. Um, and I would say Rodriguez was was really a standout. You know, he was just um, he was just on fire, you know, and he has some great link ups with other players. So I thought the midfield made a big difference in the game and um, they were their distribution was awesome. They played great defense. So nothing but praise from me. Juan, let's move it up to our forwards. We had Santi Moore on the left. We had Joey Calistri on the right. And wearing number 10, but playing as a number nine, as you said, we had John Baccaro. So how did they do last night? Uh, well, I was missing 
solo Asante for sure. Uh, with Calisti, I have my thoughts. You know, I, I like him because he has saved the uh, the team many times in the last minute. But of course, Asante is the owner of that position. But on the game overall, he did pretty good. Uh, on the on, you know on the, the first goal, he was the one that fight the ball on the right side and right. basically play. Uh, on the left side, Santi Moore, you know, everything has been said about this guy. He, he's the top scorer on the team. He's probably going to be on the MVP talks at the end of the, of the championship. So Santi Moore is just uh, an incredible player that, that's one of the top players at the, at the team right now. And on the number nine position, Vaquero surprised everyone. I'm, I'm really sure everyone now... Uh, if they love Bakero now, they are more in love with him because he's showing something else that we didn't know. Amazing. Kelly, over to you. Totally agree with Juan, except to say that I always loved Bakero and now I do love him more. So <laughs> it's well put. <laughs> Great. Guys, before we move on to talk about the subs, it, it, I just I just remembered that and that last goal, Bakero's goal, it was delivered to him from Prince Sadie. But if you take it back a little bit further, it was Ryan Flood that went up for a header and got that ball and got it to Prince Sadie. So that goal wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for Ryan Flood. So just an, an extra shout out to Ryan Flood there. Okay, let's move on to, um, to talking about the subs. First sub was in the 54th minute. Aiden Quinn is off and David Loera is on. How did he do last night, Juan? Well, David Loera, he, uh, we saw him a little for a few minutes in the last game and he showed what he can do. But on this game, he got more minutes. And, you know, I love how he has the ball next to him all the time. It's kind of like a, like a Lionel Messi, you know, but no, of course, we know the differences, but just the way he moves with the ball, like really close to his feet and uh, goes with the ball. He, he seems to have a lot of quality. And I think uh, the fight for the, for the, any middle position in the team is going to be really hard to the end of the season. Yeah. Kelly, how about you? How did you like seeing David Loera? I loved it. And again, you know what? I have nothing to add. One says it all, um, but totally agree. You know, I know we focus a lot on passing. That's part of the Phoenix Rising game plan a lot of quick movements, but he is so comfortable on the ball. He travels so well with the ball, as Juan said. It's very powerful. And we need to, at this point in the season, we do need to offer something new. We need to confuse our opponents. You know, it's good to keep our opponents guessing. And with his movement, his use of space, um, he can shoot. He's clever. He makes good you know, decisions with the ball. I think he's going to be a big difference for us. And, you know, I hadn't thought about it. Juan raises a good point. It's going to make that center of the park very um, competitive for us. Rick's going to have some big choices to make, but yeah, he looked great. In the 69th minute, we had three substitutions. Kev Lambert went off, Tate Schmidt came on. Santi Moore went off, Prince Sadie came on. Joey Calistri went off, our captain Solomon Asante came on. How did they do, Juan? Well, anytime Kev Lambert goes out, there is a movement on the whole team. There's the, like the lineup changes. And we saw James Musa taking the number six position. And uh, I think Musa does a really good job on that position too. That's, you know, that's some things that he has. He has that versatility to go to the number six or to play on the center back. But um, he, he did pretty good on that position. Now with Solo Asante, 
Uh, everyone was up of you know up on their feet, uh, cheering on him. Everyone is happy. He's the star, and he he's awesome. I'm really happy that we got him back. I'm looking forward for the Orange County game to see him starting and probably scoring. And I was hoping he scored last night the last goal, but he was close. Yeah, he was close. Kelly, over to you. I think that Musa is really versatile, and it's nice that Rick has some options. But I like him as a center back. I do like having that height. You know, we saw Tate Schmidt came in for Musa, who moved up and took Lambert's place. And Tate Schmidt did a great job. But I just prefer having some height in the back there. Um, but it's it's nice to see Schmidt, you know, playing in different positions and showing his versatility as well. And I mean, we do at some point need to give rest to some of our players. So we have to be mindful of that. But um, I thought Sadie was awesome. You know, he was really instrumental in that final goal. And I agree, it was so good to have Solo back. And I think, you know, he's kind of changed and adapted this year. He's really a leader. You can see how much he encourages, inspires, and feeds the ball to other people. Um, and that's just something we need to get used to. I think that's a role that he's going to play in addition to, you know, continuing to score his own goals. So I thought he made a big difference. And it's just like to have him come on towards the end of a game is such a new feeling. And it did like just re-energize everyone. So it was great to see him back. And I thought the subs were amazing. Our our bench is so deep and it just can't be denied, you know, how, how many amazing players we have ready to come on. So we had one more substitution. Becerra was off, Eggbo was on, but Kelly, that's not the substitution that we were looking for. At least that's not the substitution that I was looking for. Oh, I know. Uh -huh. Yeah. So speaking of subs, there was someone on the bench that we were really excited about and excited to see, which is Niall Dunn. That's right. And he made an appearance on the roster, which was awesome. And that alone is a really big deal. But yeah, we were hoping to see him get slotted in in the back line and you know, maybe he's not ready or maybe Rick really wanted to try and make that change, getting Schmidt accustomed to being in the center back. So, you know, I'm not saying it was a bad decision, but it would have been excited to see him. And I want to definitely congratulate him for getting that first, you know, first spot, first time on the roster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Rick listens to this oh, podcast. So Rick, it was a bad decision that you didn't put Niall Dunn on, la on last night. I just wanted to be out there. Guys, it was fantastic talking with you. Let's close it up. Um, how about some closing comments? Juan, take it away. Well, 50 points for Phoenix Rising, first team on the league to, to do that. Uh, it's amazing. We had struggled a little bit a few weeks ago, but everything is in good position now. Rick Chance, uh, he knows what, he, what he's doing. He has a great lineup. The team is one of the best on the league, if not the best. And uh, there is only hope for championship. Actually, that's the only thing this team can fight for. Other than that, uh, just keep keep fighting to keep to get more points at the end of the season. And uh, I'm really glad that uh, Solomon Asante is back. Uh, I think that's it's gonna be huge for for uh, what's coming up on the playoffs. And also, I'm excited to see Luis Manuel Seijas, which is one of the biggest signings on the on the on the club in the last years. I think he's going to bring a lot to the team, not, not only his experience, his knowledge, but also what he can put on the field. And uh, the playoffs are going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, super exciting as we move forward. Kelly, your closing thoughts. 
I agree. You know, I think it's going to be exciting to see what some of these new players bring to the team, but you know, it's also going to require some adjusting as you get new players, you have to learn how to play together and in sync. So that's something we're going to need to continue to work on. Um, there were some really bright spots last night. You know, we used the full field. We were really crisp in the final third and it looked like everyone was having fun. And I think we were like, we were missing the fun for a couple of weeks. So it's good to see that back. Um, and it's fun to win, you know? So like Juan said, at this point, we really need to focus on getting those points. Everything is about moving into the, you know, into the final and getting that home field advantage. And I think we're on our way. So I'm just excited about it. Juan Uresti, thank you for joining us on the fan experience for the second time. We love having you on. Muchas gracias. Anytime guys. Thank you, Niall. Thank you, Kelly. And all everyone that listens to, to the fan experience. It's a great podcast. You guys are doing a really good job. And anytime you guys want, want me to come, I'll, I'll be more than happy to join and chat with you about Phoenix Rising. Awesome. Awesome. Kelly, it's great talking football with you. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you. It's great uh, hanging out with you and Juan. Phoenix Rising family, we've lots more on the show. Thank you for sticking around. I've never been more proud of a group of players. That was unbelievable. So said Phoenix Rising coach Rick Shans after a home game against Orange County SC on Saturday, September the 18th. It was truly a memorable game, but so many are. That's the fan experience we enjoy as supporters of this team. This was the second time we played Orange County this season. That was also played here in Phoenix. The score that time was a one-all draw where we squeezed out the equalizer in the closing minutes of the game. Last night was a very different show. Rising were first to score, but we saw them lose a man to a red card and concede a goal shortly afterwards. The game required our boys to dig deep and dig they did. They played smart, they played with conviction, they played with incredible energy, leaving nothing on the pitch to end up winning 2-1. Kelly, how's your voice after that? Oh, I was screaming. My voice is still recovering. That's Kelly McCarthy joining me. Kelly, you were at the stadium. How was the atmosphere? And give us your opening comments on the game. The atmosphere was incredible. It was exactly what you'd expect given the beautiful weather we were experiencing in Phoenix. We're undefeated at home. This is our second match of the week. We were at that point on a four game win streak. And like you mentioned, last time we saw OC one month ago, they came in and they almost beat us on our home field, holding us until something like the 97th minute, as you mentioned. So this was a rematch and we really wanted to win. So the atmosphere was incredible. In terms of overall thoughts, you know, that's kind of part of it. There was a lot at stake for both teams on the evening. I mentioned what was at stake for Phoenix Rising in addition to that. We need points. We need home field advantage as we look towards the playoffs and we look all the way through to the final. We're looking at an incredibly tight field in terms of the top teams on all of the divisions for the USL Championship League. We are really racing the Tampa Bay Rowdies at this point. After last night's match, we have 54 points. They have 53. So Phoenix needs points. On the flip side of that coin is OC. They need to stay above the line. Right now, they're tied with San Diego, who plays tonight, Sunday the 19th. They need points to establish not only home field position in the playoffs, but also to just stay above that line. The Pacific Division is incredibly crammed right now. Only three points back or four points back, you have Tacoma. They play tonight. And only a few points behind that, you've got Los Dos and Sacramento. So 
everyone needs points. The stakes are incredibly high. Overall thoughts, it was an amazing, amazing game. Phoenix looks great from the back line to the front line. And we saw incredible play in all parts of the park last night. Let's get into the highlights. The first goal came in the ninth minute and it was a banger, a textbook banger from Santi Moore. He started with, a, it started with a corner kick from the left side of the park from Arturo Rodriguez. He drove the ball into the box, a lot of pushing and shoving as usual, and the ball rolled out to the right side and was collected by Solomon Asante. Solo gave a short pass to Santi Moore, who received the ball with his left foot and with his right foot smashed the ball across the goal box into the far post where it ricocheted into the back of the net. Kelly, what a goal. It was such a great goal. Beautiful service, as we come to expect from Rodriguez. The thing to note here is Solomon Asante. You mentioned he made a short pass to Moore. True, but he threw off the entire defense and he threw off the goalkeeper by taking a few steps back from the ball, making everyone think he was going to take a shot. And instead, he made a quick pass over to Moore, who took advantage of the whole defense being thrown off by Solomon Asante, had only time for one touch and blasted it in. So it was a beautiful play. It was amazing by Moar, but that vision was by Asante. So this is a front line that is playing extremely well together. Beautiful goal, way to set the pace. So that important first goal comes from Phoenix and minutes later, the stadium was lifted by a thunderous roar from the crowd in appreciation of a second goal by Santi Moore. Our joy was short-lived as the goal was disallowed, apparently due to another rising player being offside and obstructing the OC goalkeeper's view. Kelly, anything to say about that? You know, this was interesting. And I think one of the things to say about that is, you know, people are starting to get upset with the officials at this point. Um, no, I don't have, you know, I don't have the best view. I have an amazing view. Thank you so much of the field, but certainly not the best view when it comes to plays like this and offside calls. What was interesting to me was that their keeper marched right over to the fourth official um, and started having a conversation and basically got this goal recalled. I've never seen that. I've never seen initiative taken like that. Um, so it was kind of interesting. And I think at this point, uh, people start really eyeing the, um, the refs and what they're up to. And that's going to come into play later as well. Yeah, it's, it's a controversial thing that happened. Rick Shantz talked about how the refereeing team made a decision based on a replay that was being short, that was being shown on the Jumbotron. Yeah. So a lot of drama there. Um, but the we're not going to go into it much. Go ahead. Sorry, Niall. It was unfortunate because I think the Jumbotron was turned off at that point and uh, we didn't get to see any more of the game from that from that Jumbotron, which we really enjoy watching those replays. But, you know, something important happens here, though. Phoenix continues to build on their confidence. So something like this, while disheartening to get a goal taken away, you've just scored one. You still feel like you've just scored one. And it brings that confidence. You know, Sentimo are now wants one more than ever because he's just gotten one taken away. So it didn't necessarily harm our attack. And to the contrary, I think it really did lift us up and make us all the more hungry and eager. Just before we went into the tunnel at halftime, fullback Tate Schmidt pulled down one of the Orange County players who was on an attack. This was a tactical foul that earned him his second yellow card and thus a red. Kelly, I'm not asking if it was a justified yellow card. I don't think there's a lot of argument against that. But what I am curious about is if it was a, justifi a justifiable foul from Tate Schmidt. 
No, I don't think it was. I don't think it was necessary at all. If you watch the highlights, and I hope you do, because this was an amazing game, and you kind of pause right before he pulls him down or right after he pulls him down, which he did, as you said, there's no mistake about it. Um, you see that Kevin Lambert is standing right there, ready to defend, as he always is, providing amazing backup support. Behind that, you have Musa. Behind that, you have Farrell. And pretty much level with the play and faster than anyone else on the pitch, you have Darnell King. So you've got our best defenders ready to pick up any slack that might have happened because Tate Schmidt got beat. Now, to me, what I see here in both of the fouls that Tate Schmidt made on the evening, which resulted in his getting ejected, I feel this is a man in desperation. He doesn't need to be. He's incredible. He lost the start on Wednesday night to Ryan Flood. And to me, this is a player that's desperate to show he belongs on that field. He does belong in that field. He's amazing up until this minute mark. I have nothing but amazing notes on him. I mean, he used, I say this kind of week over week, but he uses all parts of his body and he uses them so effectively. He can trap using anything. He's one of the, to me, one of the most skilled ball handlers on the field. He's so diverse. He's experienced in all parts of the pitch. He doesn't need to do this. He's got other toolbox. He's got other tools in the toolbox. When he gets beat, he also had defenders supporting him. So it was unfortunate. I think it was a mental lapse. I think it was a little bit of immaturity and it was really unfortunate to let the side down. Kelly, when we're done with the highlights, we're going to get on and we're going to talk about the lineup, but we just lost Tate Schmidt. He's our fullback and we didn't have a fullback replacement. I'm specifically thinking that we didn't have Ryan Flood on the bench. You and I were excited to see the lineup and that's one of the things that we talked about that we didn't have a backup if anything went wrong mm-hmm. on that back line. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. I was thinking about that on the way to the game. Niall said to me, oh, what happens if you know something happens with, happens with one of our fullbacks and our outside backs and And we just didn't have an answer for it. And, you know, you can't have someone on the bench for everyone. But this was interesting. It was something we noted. We've seen rotation in that position. We also know, like, God forbid King gets hurt, but he's been playing every single minute of every single game. So, you know, it's not unwise to have someone prepared for that position, especially when we know Ryan Flood's in great form. So, yeah, it was unfortunate that we didn't have the subs. And as as you'll see and as you'll hear, you know, we have to make some some interesting adjustments to account for this. But I just want to mention another really quick highlight in the 44th minute. So right before this happened, um, We had an awesome play started by Schmidt, who was, as I mentioned, playing amazingly up until that point. Um, He takes a shot. Um, I think Quinn follows up with it. Asante on the volley um, makes an amazing shot on goal in around the 44th minute. So there were a lot of bright spots leading up to this. And a lot of them involved Schmidt, who we were definitely sad to see, you know, ejected from the field. So many, so many highlights that we could be talking about. Let's just summarize that first half. Kelly, it was an incredible first half. We had so many attacks. We had so many beautiful defensive plays. Our our team was, was really gelling. And that's not to say that OC weren't bringing it. They totally were. So can you just wrap up that first half and summarize that for us? Yeah, it was an amazing first half. And what it was, was an incredible team effort. We talked about this last week. As we move towards the playoffs, we have to look like a playoff team. And that means 
firing on all cylinders from all parts of the pitch. And that's what we saw. You know, our back line was a fortress. Our outside backs were making plays happen. We saw a lot of plays happening from the back line. That's what we want. They're strong defensively. They start things offensively. Our midfield was on fire and our front line was really creative. They had a lot of chances. So yeah, I mean, I think that summarizes the first half was firing on all cylinders. That said, this is, let's remember, someone brought it up on Twitter, which I was kind of creeping on Niles Twitter, OC hate week. We do love to hate this team as well. And that was in the air. I mean, I had texted my sister a couple minutes before this red card. Like I'm fearing there's going to be a fight tonight. You asked about the atmosphere. It was in the air. This, these two teams, I don't want to say hate each other because it's 2021. We don't speak that way, but you know, there's a lot of, um, uh, rivalry between these two teams and you could feel it. We've got Kuningas out there. He's playing dirty within the first minute. Um, actually he was off in the 40, 41st minute, which was helpful, but yeah. Um, he was subbed off just to be clear. Yes. And this was going to be a dog fight. Um, and so despite how well Phoenix was playing, OC was playing well, and these two teams were clashing. Guys, two minutes into the second half, Orange County went on the attack and got the equalizer. Ronaldo Damos, OC's top goal scorer, in fact, one of the top goal scorers in the entire league with 13 goals. He got his head to a cross in and powered it into the top left corner. Beautiful play, beautiful header, beautiful goal. Terrible timing as Rising, being down a player from the red card, hadn't found their flow and we were... I'd say more than a little taken aback, Kelly. Yeah, and you know, this is how it was going to happen for OC. You've got Olaski linking up with Damas. They're incredible players. They work well together. I mean, Damas, like his thing is finding a way to break the lines. He wasn't able to do that in the full first half. Darnell King, who normally plays pretty loose from his man, you know, really does play his own defense, was playing really tight to Damas all through the first half. You need to. That's how you have to play. Now, Tate Schmidt getting ejected forced King to go to the other side. We had Kalish come in and now it's Kalistri's job kind of to man Mark Domus. Um, if you watch the replay, he had two defenders on him. It was both of our center backs. He's just that good. He's beautiful. I mean, talk about just like a clinical finish. That was beautiful service. He directs it into the opposite corner across the goal. I mean, he's that skilled. You have to play him super tight. So I don't blame this on Kalistri, but I did feel really bad from King, who basically worked to shut Thomas down in the first half. Now we're down a man. Now our back line's been restructured and they took advantage of it. That's what a good team does. But we didn't let it get us down. And, you know, that's the tale of the rest of this half. So, Kelly, were you surprised there to see um, King switch sides? Because he really was shutting down Ronaldo Damos. And then, you know, when he makes the move, then there's Ronaldo Damos in the air getting that goal. I was surprised because of that. You know, just what we're saying, like he was so effective, but that's the beauty of King. He's incredibly versatile. So obviously, you know what? We weren't as comfortable or Kalistri's maybe not as comfortable with his left foot. So he couldn't be put there. So it forced the switch. Um, I was surprised. You know, I always say if I was Rick Shantz, I would have done X. I would have left King there to protect Thomas. But at the same time, Shantz knows 
more than I do look at the final score line. So it's where Kalistri needed to play. And in his defense, you know, after this goal, they don't get any more. So he does a great job there. And we know the versatility of King. He goes where he's needed. So I was surprised. It was unfortunate. I wasn't surprised by the goal. This was going to happen. And we did find our shape. We did find our footing. But, you know, you're, you're going to concede to a great team and a, and a great player when you're down a man and when you're just minutes onto the field. Another surprise is we saw Rondo, Ronaldo Damas kind of move over to King's side. It was it was very bizarre. Anyway, on to the third goal of the night, rising second goal. It was in the 86th minute. Santi Moore had possession on the left side of OC's 18-yard box. He passed forward to Aidan Quinn, who brought the ball in toward the goal box. Although he was surrounded by defenders, he was able to pick out Darren Maddox, who was just in front of goal. Darren taps the ball into the goal to wrap it up. 2-1, Phoenix Rising gets the win. Kelly, your thoughts on those final minutes? That was an awesome, awesome goal. And again, you know, this is our front line playing together and playing smart. Once again... Everyone for OC thought Santi Moore was going to take a shot. He just cut in. That's what he does. He's ready with his right foot. And so you see everyone adjust and pull towards Santi Moore. What does he do? He passes to Aiden Quinn, who was just so hot, so on fire, amazing. He's calm. He's composed. He takes it to the end line and he passes it in. And really that whole defense is adjusting. They think the shot's going to come from Moar. They're surprised and they adjust and they move towards Quinn. That leaves um, our number nine, Darren Maddox, ready and available in the middle. He'd been hammering and chipping away all night and he was ready. He was wide open. Quinn makes the smart. It was a hard enough pass to get to him, but it was gentle enough for him to control it and boom he hits it in so this again was our front line just playing really smart together it was so awesome I was so happy for Maddox's first goal um at wild wild horse pass it was just beautiful (laughs) you know he deserved it I think he really had been struggling with his first touch all night and he sure didn't struggle for this one okay guys there are so many more highlights but we've got to move on we're going to talk about the lineup formation and performance Okay, Kelly in goal. Between the sticks, we had Andre Rawls. Our fullbacks were started out with Tate Schmidt and Daryl King. And then in front of goal, we had James Musa and Joey Farrell as our center backs. We've talked a lot about them. Anything else you want to say about that back line, Kelly? Yeah, I do. I just want to mention that Rawls was a monster. He was incredible. He really had some amazing saves. This definitely could have been a very different scoreline, if not for Rawls. Knowing when to come off his line, (laughs) I'm laughing because I just remembered his yellow card he got in the 90th minute with some time wasting. So he was a big, he was a big factor in this game. He was very decisive and that's what you want, especially in a game like this. And then no, you know, basically our back line was insane. I do just want to reiterate that they weren't just great defensively, but they made some really impressive playmakes, playmaking moving forward offensively. You know, if you look at individual stats, stats, which I don't normally do, Darnell King had an 87% pass completion rate, Musa 79, Farrell 87%. So they were making a lot of passes with amazing completion. I mean, Darnell King was 74% completion in the opponent's half so he was all over the pitch making passes making things happen absolutely um just want to want to give a shout out to andre rawls he was tempting the referee on a second yellow so as you mentioned in the closing minutes he is taking his time with the kickouts as goalies do 
And he was delaying for so long that he got himself a yellow card. And even with that yellow, he still held back. He still held back. And I was thinking, oh my God. And the, the ref was walking towards him, hand in pocket saying, you better kick that thing or else the red is coming out. It was hilarious. I know. And it, it was only <laughs> hilarious because it was our goalkeeper. This is the type of thing that drives you absolutely nuts when another team does it and you're desperate. But yeah, uh, yeah. and somehow, you know, what I liked about him was he added some acting to it as well, you know, and somehow he seemed just like lovely and naive. Not, not I really can't figure out who to kick it to. Uh, so kudos for not only the time wasting, but the acting as well. Extra yeah, points. It was great. It was great. Moving up to midfield with Aiden Quinn, Kevin Lambert, Arturo Rodriguez. How did they do? They were amazing. I mean, they were just absolutely amazing. Each one of them. Um, you know, Rodriguez is just continually impressive. We talked about his service that led to the first goal. Um, we didn't talk about, I think this was also at the end of the first half, an incredible chance on a set piece for OC that Rodriguez absolutely saved a goal, standing on the goal line in the goal with his head. I mean, it was a hard shot. He just really just was there. It was perfect. He was ready. He was standing in the goal to save a goal. I mean, make no mistake. This was yeah. an intentional yeah. save. It was such a clutch move. It was more powerful than if he'd scored a goal. So he was awesome. Aiden Quinn is just coming on. I mean, I hear tons of people talking about him as the best midfielder in the USL. And I'm really starting to see that, how much he contributes. And I honestly think he's just gotten more and more fit um, as the season's gone along. And, you know, when you're down to 10 men, the midfield has to work incredibly hard. And he was instrumental in that final goal. And he was just plugging away. He had some awesome goals. He himself has had an amazing chance right before the end of the game. Again, playing so smart. The ball comes from Asante, I think. I'm not sure. Someone served him that could have themselves taken a shot, but it was just like really smart play. It was the, there was open space in front of Quinn. We know he's left footed. Let's pass to him. So, you know, you just saw really smart plays from him and around him. So, um, and I mean, Lambert, like I said, you know, when Schmidt pulled that player down, didn't need to Lambert's right there, ready to provide amazing backup defense. So they were awesome. Yeah, Arturo Rodriguez played an amazing game and that save on the line mm. was absolutely phenomenal. I was surprised to see him come off, um, but some somebody had to be uh, replaced because of Tate Schmidt's red card. So Arturo Rodriguez came off and Calistri came on. Moving forward, on the left side, we had Santi Moore. On the right side, we had our captain, Solomon Asante, And up front, number nine, Darren Maddox. Kelly, how did they do? They were all outstanding. They were just amazing. You know, it was awesome to see Solomon Asante in full fitness. Thank goodness that hamstring tear or pull has improved itself. He looked great. Um, you know, and Darren Maddox had a couple of chances that I'll say he kind of flubbed. I don't hold it against him because he's so busy off the ball and because so many people are trying to get him the ball. They have full faith in him. It, it obviously paid off. He got his goal at the end. Um, you know, we're seeing him work in those tight spaces. He's extremely fit. He's busy pressing. Um, you know, I've been criticizing Santi Moore. I want him to have a few more tricks in the bag, but he definitely shut me up with beautiful goals. Um, you know, he was just absolutely amazing. They played well together. They were creative. And, you know, again, I mentioned kind of they're, they're passing instead of shooting at times. You have to know when to do either. We saw 
Um, Santi Moore make that beautiful pass to Quinn, which then went to Maddox for a goal. We saw Solomon Asante fake a shot, pass it to Santi Moore for a goal. So they're just playing really smart together. They're playing really energetic. They're keeping up the press and they're confusing defenses. At this point, the defense doesn't know what they're going to do. Will they pass? Um, will they make an amazing volley? So they were awesome. So what did OC do wrong last night, Kelly? I've got a few thoughts. I felt like they came out to try to rough us up a little bit. And it just didn't work for us. You know, when you when you come out to rough up the other team, you try to disrupt their focus. And it just wasn't happening. And it resulted in them not being as focused as they should have been on the game. Um, they there were there were definitely some good players out there. Like their number 10, Brian Olosky, he he rarely disappoints. Ronaldo Damas got that goal. He almost always scores. He was really well. But the rest of the team, I'm not sure that I saw any, any standouts. Rob Kiernan did, did well as their, um, as their center back. But other than that, anything to say about OC last night? You know, I, I, I agree with you. I also think they did play really well. You know, I think they really had their hands full. Another factor, and, you know, we'll have to check in with our, fr- our friend Ray Samora or other friends that we have over there in California to see their thoughts on this. But, you know, I think they're seeing some of their top players rotating back in as they're moving, you know, into full fitness and coming back from injury. So I think they didn't necessarily have their best team on the field at all times. We saw some players come in late. I'm thinking of Inavoltson and some others. We saw uh, Kuningas come off in the 41st. I think he maybe suffered with a small injury. Hopefully he's okay. Um, Although I was happy to have him off the field at the time. So yeah, I just think they're kind of still working on getting their best team on the field. But other than that, I think they were forced to play a lot more defense than they were planning to. Our team was incredibly offensively minded, starting from the back line all the way forward. And I think they were just, they were planning to attack more than they really were able to. Let's finish it up with the substitutions. Arturo Rodriguez was off. Joey Kalistri came on. That was just before the first half break. Then we had Manuel Madrid. He came on in the 87th minute, replacing Santi Moore. And then Darren Maddox, no, no, it was. It was Solomon Asante came off and David Loera came on and that was in the 80th minute. So Calistri, Madrid and Loera, how did they do, Kelly? Oh, they did extremely well. I mean, we only conceded one goal. This was um, early on in the second half. Otherwise, everyone managed to keep up the defensive effort and keep up the attack. I mean, I can't say how important that is. It is so tempting to just play defensively when you're down a man. We absolutely did not do that. We really wanted this win. And those subs contributed to that. You know, absolute kudos to Joey Kalistri. He came in. We know he's been playing as a full forward lately. He came in and he played at the cornerback position. He was awesome. Um, he continued, you know, that, that great movement out of the back line. Um, it was sad to see Rodriguez come out. But he had to to make way for Kalistri and to fill that position. When we saw Loera come in, I am just really enjoying him. I think everyone is. Um, he's absolutely a playmaker. He's fast. You can feel the experience. You know, you can feel that being down a man does not freak him out. It did not freak. It did not freak Maddox out. Um, I'm sorry. Who am I missing? Loera Kalistri. Oh, and you know. Again, Madrid, Madrid. Yeah. Good for Madrid. You know, he got the start on our Wednesday game against Las Vegas. So he's in great fitness. He looked exceptional on Wednesday night. He came and he slotted in for Farrell. He did his job. Um, He kept that clean sheet from there on out. So 
Um, the subs were great. They really did up-level us. And kudos to Rick for knowing who to put in and when. I mean, he could never have expected that red card. And uh, he had a great solution for it. So so absolutely, you know, as much as the subs were great, Rick's uh, strategy was wonderful as well. On to closing comments. Kelly, this is the second time that we've played OC, both at home. So we've got two more times that we're going to play them and it will be in Orange County. If last night was a preview, they're going to be epic games. Yeah. So we're getting better. Our team is getting better. We've got some new recruits on board with us. Same for Orange County. Kelly, do you want to have, do you have any closing thoughts? Want to wrap up the game? Want to, want to tell us about how excited you are for the next one? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your leading questions. So yeah, final thoughts. We're definitely starting to look like a playoff team. You know, we really are looking like each line is getting stronger, working well together. I'm loving our substitutions. I'm loving our new high, our new signees. And in terms of OC, they're going to fight as hard as they can, and they're going to do it now from home. We like to call the OC Stadium our home away from home, um, you know, and we're, we have a limited number of games at home. So this is where we have to start working on our play on the road. And we're, we are working on that. We're looking better. Hopefully, you know, we can go and support the team and they'll just continue this now five game unbeaten streak. Kelly, it's great talking football with you. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. championship fans. Thanks for joining me, Kelly McCarthy, to discuss the USL 2021 league standings after an eventful and exciting week 22. Can you believe the league just wrapped up on the 22nd week? It's crazy. So in this segment in past episodes, I've talked about the playoffs a few times, explaining things like the structure, how home field advantage is determined, how ties are broken when it comes to regular season points and other important details. Coming soon, we'll have a segment that pulls all that information together in one place in anticipation of the postseason. Something I have not talked about in a few weeks that relates to the playoffs is games played. I want to remind you that teams have not all played the same number of games. For example, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, who are in second place in the Atlantic Division, have played 26 games, whereas several teams, such as the El Paso Locomotives, who are in first place in the Mountain Division, have only played 22 games. These teams are not outliers either. Every division has at least one team with 25 games under their belt and at least one team with only 22 games played. Putting this in perspective, there are quite a few teams who have around three games in hand, which is, of course, nine potential points. So keep this in mind when you're reviewing the standings at this point in the season. When you're thinking about the number of games played, keep in mind that all teams will eventually play 32 games. So if you look at a team like Phoenix Rising, who has played 24 games, realize that they have eight games left. And I don't want to blow your mind too hard, but kind of a side note, Phoenix Rising only has three home games left. So if you haven't been to any games, now's your chance. Or if you've been to every home game and you've been thinking about traveling, now is a great time for that too. We still have three games in California and one in Las Vegas, so pack your bags. 
All right, let's take a look at the current standings. The Atlantic Division's current top teams are the Tampa Bay Rowdies with 52 points, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds with 47, the Miami FC with 42 points, and Charlotte Independence with 37. Notice there's a natural break happening between the top and the bottom teams in this division, but there's still enough time and enough games for teams number five and six to make it to the playoffs. But that door is closing. For at least one team, Loudoun United, there's no chance. It's over. Before moving on to the Central Division, I want to point out that if the Tampa Bay Rowdies win every game from now until the end of the season, they will have a total of 76 points. Keep that number in mind for comparison's sake. In the Central Division, you have the same teams in the same order in the standings as you had last week. Louisville City have 47 points, Birmingham Legion have 41, FC Tulsa have 38, and in fourth place with 31 points, you have OKC Energy. Teams 2 and 4 tied this weekend and Team 3 lost, so the middle of the pack is even more condensed than it was last week. If Lou City were to win every game from here on out, they would end their season with 71 points compared to the Rowdies' 76. In the Mountain Division, we've seen some movement in regard to the top spots. The El Paso Locomotives are still in first place with 46 points, but the Colorado Switchbacks have slipped from second place and have been replaced by San Antonio FC, who have 40 points on the season. Colorado are now in third place, and they too have 40 points. We had some fun talking about this last week, so if you want to learn about how ties are broken and divisional rankings determined, go back and listen to the standings from last week's podcast, which was called Phoenix Rising, Last Minute Heartstopper. As a quick reminder, the first criteria for breaking ties when two teams have the same number of points is to look at their head-to-head matchups. In this case, San Antonio and Colorado have played three times. San Antonio has won twice, and the third clash was a draw. So if these teams continue to have the same number of points, San Antonio will always rank higher. No matter what happens with that fourth game, San Antonio has the advantage. In fourth place in the Mountain Division, same as last week, is Austin Bold with 35 points. If El Paso, who's number one in this division and has only played 22 games so far, wins all of their games moving forward, they'll end the season with 76 points. In the Pacific Division, the top team remains Phoenix Rising, who has the most points in the league with 53 Where Phoenix Rising have the most points among the top teams in the league, note that the Pacific Division's teams 2 through 4 have the least points of any team in the same position across the USL. San Diego Loyal are 16 points behind Phoenix in second place with 37 points. Orange County SC are in third place with 34 points. And Tacoma round out the division's top teams with 30 points. If Phoenix Rising win every game from here on out, which is entirely possible, let it be said, they will end the season with 77 points, which will be the most in the league by one point. It's not much, but it's enough to ensure home field advantage through the playoffs. So this needs to be our goal. 
Looking ahead to week 23, we have some extremely exciting matchups to keep an eye on. There are plenty of midweek games, so you can watch teams in other divisions you might not normally watch without missing your favorite team's games. This is great preparation for the playoffs. So on Wednesday, September 23rd, Charlotte Independence plays Miami FC starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. These two teams are in the top of the Atlantic Division. Two hours later, same day, 9 p.m. Eastern, you have El Paso, number one in the Mountain Division, playing Austin Bold, number four. A win for Austin puts them in reach to jump to position two in the table. On Saturday night, September 25th at 10 p.m. Eastern, of course, all eyes will be on the Phoenix Rising game as they play away at the home of Tacoma Defiance. Tacoma are desperate for points to keep them above the line. The Oakland Roots, in fifth place in the Pacific Division, are only three points behind Tacoma. And with a better record in their head-to-head matchups, Oakland will take the lead if the two teams are tied in points. Finally, on Sunday, September 26th, Charlotte have another big game worth watching as they take on Birmingham Legion, who are number two in the Central Division. This game could easily be a preview of a first-round playoff game in the Eastern Conference. So much to look forward to. Such exciting times for the Championship League. Thanks for listening. Let's do this again next week. Phoenix Rising family next Saturday, September 25th, our boys will take to the field for an away game against Tacoma Defiance. Phoenix are on top form with a five-game winning streak. Tacoma are on a three-game losing streak. This will be the third time that the teams meet. The first game was here in Phoenix on June 12th. We won 3-0. The second game was in Tacoma on September 5th. We won 3-1. That was the game where we saw Darren Maddox get his first start and we saw him score two class goals. The first one coming in the fourth minute. That was also the game where Tacoma players Danny Yeba and Sam Adeneran gave us a lot to deal with. And who can forget Abdule Sissoko? We were all pretty shaken as he lay in the box motionless for a good 10 minutes before he was stretchered off with what appeared to be a head, neck or spine injury. He hasn't been back on the field for Tacoma since then, but good news, he's been on the roster in every game since then for Tacoma's MLS affiliate, Seattle Sounders. In fact, he played 90 plus minutes for them this weekend. Back to the preview. What are we expecting from this upcoming game? Well, we're not expecting to see our full back, Tate Schmidt. Schmidt was on for our last game against Tacoma, but because he received a red card in the game against OC last weekend, he's suspended for the Tacoma match. I don't think anyone is really too concerned because we've got Ryan Flood on the ready and he played an amazing game the last time he got the start. That was against Las Vegas Lights two games ago. And if you'd like to hear more on that, just hit your rewind button because we reviewed it in this episode. Based on Rising's excellent form and Tacoma's bad form, the game should go well for us, but Coach Rick Shantz will not be letting his guard down for this match, and here's why. Reason number one, Tacoma are currently sitting in fourth place in the division. This means that they've got the last available playoff spot and they're desperate to hold on to it. Reason number two, it's true that we beat Tacoma Defiance 3-1 the last time we played. But, to be honest, we got lucky. 
One of their men was sent off on a soft red card and on top of that we were given a very questionable PK. And by that I mean that there were many Phoenix supporters saying we probably didn't earn it. Reason number three, to reiterate the fact that Tacoma are no pushover, they beat San Diego three times. Phoenix only beat San Diego two times. Also, Tacoma beat Orange County two times and from last weekend, we know that that's no small accomplishment. Reason number four, our beef isn't with Tacoma, our beef is with all the other top teams in the other three divisions. We want to end the season with the top points and secure a home field advantage and to do that we're going to have to throw down on Saturday night. Kickoff is at the earlier time of 7pm and here's my prediction for the final score. I'm not hedging my bets, I'm all in for rising, 100% for the dub. We scored three goals against Tacoma Defiance twice on the trot, so why not three more goals this time? And obviously I'm going for a clean sheet from our defense. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Thanks to guests Juan Uresti and Kelly McCarthy. I'm off to celebrate Hispanic Appreciation Month, and I'll see you back here next week. And until then, go rising!